Hi, I'm Eric Connor, Senior Instructor at New York Film Academy. And in this episode, we bring you a writer-producer who's worked on a number of legendary independent films, including Smoke and A Welcome to the Dollhouse, before she moved over to 100 Acre Wood as a writer on My Friends Tigger and Pooh. She was a recipient of the Disney Writers Fellowship and has most recently been doing the festival circuit with her award-winning short, Basurero, which she wrote, produced, and directed. We are talking about Eileen Kabilling. Like many working filmmakers, Miss Kabilling went to film school. But it was her time in the trenches of the 90s New York-based indie film scene which deepened her understanding of what it takes to make a project happen. I've worked for a lot of indie filmmakers in the 90s. I kind of, yeah, I guess when I was yeah, in New York, it was kind of the indie film scene. So yeah, I worked with Todd Solons and... Uh, who else have I worked with? I worked with Michael Apted and Lydia Pilcher and Forrest Whitaker. I was his assistant on his first movie that he directed for HBO called Strat. I think Todd Solans was Welcome to the Dollhouse. <laughs> and um, I worked on Buffalo 66, which was an interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I've worked in those fields. Yeah, I think that was very, it was kind of a gift in a way to be around these filmmakers who had such strong voices and wanted to make the films that they wanted to make. Yeah, I mean, I definitely was very struck by Todd Solons, for example. He's such a eccentric character who really is an outward filmmaker. Um, and I think during that time, it was a very, and it still is to this day, auteur filmmaking, where the films are really coming out as if it's their own personal novel that they're writing. And so to be around that sort of motivation and that drive is very different than, I also, I also worked as a writer for Disney, where Disney, as a writer there, you definitely, you know, want to write from a personal place when you're given an episode to write. And I was writing for Winnie the Pooh. But they're, they're also very concerned about, yeah, audience and testing your episode. And every department gives you notes from marketing to, you know, the legal department to the executives. So indie auteur filmmaking, you don't really necessarily have that unless it's already attached to a studio. It's a different, whole different world. <laughs> yeah, Disney is a far cry from the idiosyncratic world of Welcome to the Dollhouse, which for me is one of the best indie films to come out of the 90s. And Eileen Kabilling's own voice was further shaped by her previous work in documentaries. Well, with documentary, right before I made my film, I was working for Jigsaw on Death Row Stories. And... For documentary, and that, that I would say is a kind of an entertaining doc series, but very compelling and real, but almost indie film-like in process. And then my film, yes, is inspired by true events, but it's definitely fictionalized. I think the difference, obviously, is with fiction, you have way more liberties to mm -hmm. explore, and in that sense, you can sometimes explore issues that perhaps weren't part of the original situation. And with documentary, I think, I mean, it depends on the kind of documentary, but you do want that integrity of it being as factual as possible and as true to what is really there. Yeah, I guess within the doc world, there are different realms of documentary. 
You know, like um, there was a documentary that a colleague made of mine out of the Philippines that's getting a lot of attention, I think winning a lot of great awards. And she made it mostly off of stock footage and uh, interviews that she had made. And it's about the Yolanda typhoon. And I think that was very creative, but it really gave you a sense of how people were affected by that typhoon. I mean, whereas something like Death Row Stories, we're actually taking cases and trying to humanize the case. You know, people who have been put on death row, you know, they've been exonerated because they were never guilty. It took all of these work experiences to get Miss Cabilling ready to take on her short film, Basurero. My path to this specific story was inspired by an Al Jazeera report that they were interviewing fishermen and this one fisherman was um, saying that he has been on the side dumping bodies for, I guess, authorities in the current administration's drug war. These waters may look peaceful, but this fisherman we'll call Manuel says Manila Bay harbors an open secret. And how he had already dumped like 20 bodies, I believe. And then he came across a body that he had to dump of someone he knew. We usually throw them out in Manila Bay. Sometimes we put weights on it so it doesn't float up. Once I saw the body of a friend, I'm scared and I wonder if I could be next. Yarbu Malham, Al Jazeera, Manila. And that really struck me, first of all, with just what's happening in the Philippines with the killings. Just to put some context in that, Duterte, the uh, the current president, when he became president in 2016, one of his big promises was to eradicate uh, the drug problem. And so they went right into a pretty bloody drug war. And it's definitely a human rights, human values situation where they were just, it was a killing spree at first. So for me, what really struck me about the story was it was an opportunity for me to make a short film, to work with that very specific actor who we were already planning a feature film together. And then also for me to explore the themes that I want to explore as an auteur filmmaker or stepping into auteur filmmaking after working on many other people's films for many years. So it really gave me that space and that opportunity and also to continue my vision as a filmmaker as to what I want to speak about. Um, I'm very interested in, you know, I'm a bit of an activist filmmaker. Most of the work that I work on is social impact stuff, even documentaries that I've worked on and such. The news report was only the beginning for Ms. Cabilling's journey to understand how someone would resort to doing such a grisly job to make ends meet. Well, I went in knowing what I wanted to accomplish on the level of what I I wanted to explore. You know, I really wanted to explore the question of how can a fisherman dumping bodies for survival because he needs the extra cash, how can he find self-value in a world that is already not valuing certain people? So I kind of wanted to put that question out there, and that's, I think, a question that I personally also am always putting out there. How can we have a voice if we live in a system that doesn't support our voice. But in the intricacies of making the film, in the details of making the film, from writing it, to working with producers, to working with a cast, working with you know how to design it and my DP, how to tell the story, that is a very collaborative effort. And I discussed these ideas a lot with them. And then they brought their own sort of voice to the table as well, or their own sort of 
essence to the table. Film is such a collaborative process. It's not like it's just all about me, 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 you know? Uh, I think as a director and a writer, it really is about your team coming on board with you and bringing themselves into mixing their souls into the, the soul of this film. Part of what drove Ms. Kabilling to tell this specific personal story was her own upbringing as a first-generation Filipino-American. I think it just came out of my own personal path. Like my own personal journey has been about exploring themes for myself to help me express my own voice in the world. I grew up in the United States as a minority, you know, in Richmond, Virginia, as the only like Asian kid in my class, you know, and we grew up in a world where in movies and literature, you don't really see yourself and your stories. So it was always a bit of a, yeah, a hurdle for me or a mountain for me to climb. And it is, I think, a mountain for many people of diversity to climb right now in the United States. So I've always just been attracted to people and their stories whose voices aren't being heard or they're not being represented. This past year might have helped change that story, well, to an extent. With the coronavirus pushing back several major studio releases, a diverse slate of filmmakers have now been populating the awards circuit, including Nomadland's Chloe Zhao, One Night in Miami's Regina King, and Minari's Lee Chung. I think I've noticed that a lot in the feature film world. There seem to be themes like, I think right now for people of color, there's a lot of films about immigrants and the immigrant story. Like, for example, The Farewell is about, you know, a Chinese American girl who goes to China to deal with her grandmother who's dying and her grandmother doesn't know she's dying. But that's a very American story in my, from my perspective, even though I know, I think it was um, the Golden Globes that didn't really see it. I think they considered it a foreign language film. To clarify, the Golden Globes placed the terrific Minari, an American-produced feature about a Korean family moving to Arkansas, in the foreign language category. Now, it won, which is great, but still, odd choice. In short film, you really see a lot of different kinds of films because it's a very, almost like an art gallery exhibit. It's They're curating films, and there's very specific types of short film festivals. My film world premiered at the Busan International Film Festival in Korea, which is a huge film market. So yes, most of their eyes were on the feature films, but they do showcase 10 short films, and mine was one of them. And the films that I was curated with, all 10 of them, were all very different, um, but they were all Asian films. So there was film from Azerbaijan, a film from Kazakhstan, a film from Vietnam, a film from Japan, Philippines. And thematically, they were all very, very different, actually, the themes that they were exploring. So they tend to do like social impact films, comedies, more quirky. There's a whole experimental film. So I think the short film platform and the festivals it's a great way to meet all kinds of filmmakers, mm-hmm. and it's a great way to just see all the different possibilities. These platforms can also help foster a sense of community. And as the saying goes, the rising tide raises all ships. Right now, it really makes a lot of sense to, for example, within the Philam community, the Filipino-American filmmakers, we are really supporting each other. And a couple pioneer 
filmmakers like Diane Paragas and Marie Hamora, they've started communities and have really initiated for support so that it's not this crab mentality to help get our stories out into the mainstream of films in the United States and globally. So I think it's important, but yeah, of course it would be nice to us not to have to use the word diverse, right? Or woman or, you know, Filipino or Asian American. I mean, it would be nice to be able to just see diversity as the norm, you know, but because it's not, I think we need constructs to help us get there. I think it's a step-by-step process. Part of this step-by-step process is collaboration and mentorship, which can only help a filmmaker learn and grow, provided they can accept and give honest feedback. I really recommend people when they make their films, and I did this for myself, and I saw this for the filmmakers that I worked for in the past, to have mentors, Mm. um, like real mentors, not mentors who are just going to make you feel good, you know, but mentors who are going to be very honest about your work and honest about how they feel, but also mentors whose work you appreciate. So you guys know that you're in the same field of the type of stories you like to tell and the type of characters. Like there's no reason for me to, you know, have a mentor who works in a whole other field, for example, or works on completely different kind of storytelling like boys animation or something for me mm-hmm. like it it's a different mindset unless the writer and I know his or her work resonates with my kind of work and we have a good dialogue together but I think it's a lifelong question when do you know you're done when do you know you're finished and when do you know it's just ready to put out for me it was me really knowing my footage, trying everything. I tried everything. I also tried people's suggestions when I was feeling confused. Instead of rebelling against it, even though it sounded way out there, I went ahead and gave it a try, like recut the film a whole different way. And then I did have people see the film and give me their honest opinions about it. I tend to like to be around people who really will tell me how it is, like how they feel. But I also had to learn how to get used to being critiqued harshly. And that's really happens to you when you work for the studios. <laughs> As a writer, you get critiqued left and right and you, you build a tough shell because you realize it's not about you personally, it's really about the work. And uh, I think that really shows a sign of being at a certain space with yourself and your work, but it's always gonna be a little bit. Sometimes you just need to take space when you get a very harsh note or a note that you just don't understand. You know, just take space from it and just process it. And maybe a lot of times just ask questions to the person who gave that critique because a lot of times we will hear critiques from our own traumas or our own lenses of what we're insecure about. And it may not even be about that at all. So yeah, it's definitely an art form. (laughs) It's also a balance. Listening to your own instincts, listening to others, and listening to the work itself. I've gone through phases in life where it was about protecting the work first. But yes, I mean, you want to protect the work and make sure, but you kind of have to trust that you're already protecting the work by listening to the critiques and realizing that you can take some and leave the rest. You know what I mean? Take what you think works for you and works for the piece. And I like taking stuff sometimes that are completely way out there that I was like, wow, that's not what this film is all about. And I use that as an opportunity to practice asking questions. Mm -hmm. 
to learn how to confront critique that might be uncomfortable. Because again, it's a collaborative process, storytelling. And it also, it helps me learn to get to know my own story. Because I think we learn our stories as we make the piece, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all the way until when you're showing it out in the world. <laughs> all through the editing process, the writing, the shooting, you know, casting. You learn about your characters more when you're casting as well. And after you have that actor in front of you, you know, bringing himself to the table and his ideas. Miss Cabilling cites director Andrea Arnold's approach to American Honey as an inspiration for how to deeply connect with a project to make it truly authentic. I really love Andrea Arnold's process. Um, I know that she had an essence of a story or an idea of a story with that article that she had read about kids that were selling magazines around the U.S. And, but then she just went traveling around the U.S. and wrote the story that way, physically, going to these locations and spaces and finding her actress on the beach in Florida. You know, and just, I work that way as well. Like, I believe that as I step forward, the story will come to life and make mm -hmm. sense. So as I start putting ideas on the page or for example, with Basurero, this short film, I definitely started shifting things as I was visiting the fishermen and hanging out with the fishermen and um, also visiting where they live. And, um, and then also envisioning the day of this fisherman, you know, moving through the slums and going into the nightclubs at night where they hang out and, I think it's a very organic process. So, yeah, I mean, I know in writing, for example, in the training of writing, you know, a lot of times there's tools to try to get to the drama of it, right? So, mm -hmm. like, what's the irony in your log line and what's his problem and what does he want? And that's all very important to have. But sometimes also you want to feel your story. You want to feel it out and organically let it hit the page. And a lot of times those questions will be answered. But it's really about finding your own process and then just trusting yourself. It's perseverance too, not giving up. And part of that perseverance is dealing with the inevitable problems that will arise on even the most well-organized production. When you're on the set, as you know, you have time constraints and uh, budget constraint. Like you have to finish your day or else everyone will get pissed off at you or you'll go into overtime or, you know what I mean? Or everyone will like be like, not know what they're doing because you haven't made a decision. What I do is, well, with shooting, what I've done is I just, again, go in knowing the scene that I'm shooting, having a plan, I mean, being super prepared. As you know, a director has to be super prepared <laughs> for any, because if you have a very clear plan of how you're going to run that day and what you're going to shoot, you know you have that at least because everything is not going to go according to plan. <laughs> when you're shooting, all kinds of things happen, like someone doesn't show up or something breaks. So you just have to really be reliant on yourself and your teammates to problem solve. So everything is about problem solving. With editing, if you have the luxury, sometimes it's good to take space from your edit because it's like writing too. You've seen it so many times, uh, so many times, and then you're just like, I just gotta get it done, I gotta get it done. But you kind of know in your gut that that's not the answer, but you're just gonna make it happen. But sometimes if you just take a step back, take a couple days off, 
a week, maybe, maybe a month if you can, <laughs> you know, the answer will really come to you. But for that to happen, a visionary filmmaker still needs to be open enough to where an idea can take them. Everything is a process, and I think it's about brainstorming at first and not putting everything that you think about in stone. It should be fluid and flexible, your ideas. So, you know, if you want to write about motherhood or being a single woman, or if you want to write about, you know, what it was like to be in the army or about war, you know, a lot of it is just treating paper or treating your laptop as a sketch pad. Because I think sometimes we tend to get scared if we put our ideas down on a piece of paper, that has to be it. And then that can be very paralyzing. But when it comes to thinking about my own themes in life, a lot of it is like just journaling about things that I care about or hearing other people's stories or what's happening in the world or what's happening to me personally. Because a lot of times you may come across something like my short film where it's like, what do I have in common with a fisherman, right? But what did resonate with me with the fisherman was that he was put in a situation where he's super stuck because he has to survive, but his voice doesn't really matter because he's living in a system that doesn't really support him. So I can understand that actually, or at least put part of myself in that situation because I felt that way many times in my own context. So I think characters are so important these days as a storyteller, maybe because we're so big now, you know, so how do we find the universal in an individual <laughs> and how can, you know, and it can be so such a different individual, but what do we all still have in common? So yeah, I believe in character sketches. I think my short film is really a character sketch. Research can only help turn these sketches into fully three-dimensional characters and movies. I interview people a lot. So right now I am developing another film about drug rehab in the Philippines. So I'm just really interviewing a lot of people who have moved through that experience. Drug rehab is a very new thing in the Philippines. It's a very new concept, new idea. So I've been really just talking to the people who've been moving through it and are, who have been trying to create that for the Filipino people that are addicted to drugs. Um, and then same thing, I'm writing a kid's movie right now for another company. And I went and interviewed a lot of the kids in this world, in this situation where they want the story to be told and just hung out with them. Yeah, I, I believe in that. I just, you know, that's the kind of writer I am. And the more a filmmaker can learn about their subject, well, not only does it make the work more honest, it also means the storyteller doesn't have to create as much out of thin air. Whatever you can do to get inspired to create, right? And a lot of people, it, I, at least for me, and I know a lot of my colleagues, it just it doesn't come from just me. And I think that's the same thing when you make a piece. If you're just making a piece all by yourself and you're not getting input from your team or your producers or being open to being critiqued to make it better, to have a conversation, then you're kind of just making something in a fishbowl, you know what I mean? <laughs> like by yourself. But I always feel like if you have someone that really relates with your work, colleagues or producers, or obviously your own team, hopefully, you should be able to have dialogue about your work to make it better. Even now, with the world still dealing with the coronavirus, artists can and must find a way to be inspired to keep creating. 
Well, I mean, COVID is a real opportunity to be creative about how to make a film, especially as an indie filmmaker. And um, yes, I have been thinking about the short film format a lot during this time because I'm like, when am I gonna, I have a feeling to make an indie feature film, maybe another you know, year or so. So yeah, I've been thinking about the short film format again. And um, I have a couple ideas that I'm working on, hoping that I can just make something this year. One is my family has all this amazing, my mother had saved all this amazing Super 8 footage and I have all of it. So I think that's an opportunity, you know, like if you have old videos of your family or old videos you had just, you know, in your garage, whether it be Super 8s or VHSs, there's footage there to make something. So there's that. And then I find it interesting how people are making film within the Zoom format. I find that with movement. So I am talking to an old modern dance colleague of mine about creating some modern dance pieces. And if Eileen Cabilling didn't have filmmaking as her creative outlet? Um, I think I would be a painter. <laughs> I think that's how I make films and that's how I write films. And mm-hmm. so I love the idea of creating images and they just start to come to life with a paintbrush. <laughs> but then I also have this drive to just put out questions in the world and start looking at things underneath the surface of our state of humanity, human value and human rights. That's a big passion of mine. So yeah, I guess there would be a way to do that through painting. Let's call that a lesson for everyone. Find the canvas you need and go create something that you want to see come to life. We want to thank Eileen Kabilling for sharing her story with our students. And thanks, of course, to all of you for listening. This episode was based on the Q&A moderated by Liz Hinline. To watch the full interview or to see our other Q&As, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash New York Film Academy. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor, edited and mixed by Christian Hayden, produced by Christian Hayden, Helen Kittaloftis, and myself, executive produced by the New York Film Academy. With a special thanks to all our staff and crew who make this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next time.